This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Next month, Sacred Reich will release their first new album in 23 years, Awakening, via Metal Blade Records. Awakening is a timeless collection comprised of blistering thrash, crushing grooves, killer solos, and socially conscious lyrics that demonstrate a true understanding of everything that matters most in the world today. It also features the return of Dave McLean, who managed a drum throne from 91 to 97, and the addition of 22-year-old Joey Radsville playing guitar alongside original member guitarist Willie Arnett and vocalist bassist Phil Rind are integral facets of the record. Pre-order your copy now at MetalBlade.com slash Sacred Reich. One more time, the new album by Sacred Reich, Awakening. Go to MetalBlade.com slash Sacred Reich today. This show is sponsored by Rockabilia. Need to stock up on some of your favorite band's merch? Go to Rockabilia.com and put some on your wish list. They're the one-stop shop for all your band merch needs. Need to buy a gift for someone and know what bands they're into? Pick up something from Rockabilia. You won't be disappointed with the selection, and you can get 10% off with the code PCJabberJaw. So head on over to rockabilia.com and use the promo code PCJabberJaw and save 10% today. It's the Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts, Petter Speich, Brandon Hahn, and Jocelyn Sharp. Metal Sucks Podcast. Hello, friends out there. It is I, your host, Petter Spych. I am always joined by... Hey, buckaroo. It's Brandon Hahn, and you can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Mr. Hahn Comedy. And... Jocelyn Sharp. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jocelyn Sharp. I apologize for that and. That was crazy. That was a lot. That was a lot. Six-year-old voice came out of me. And if you guys want to follow me, I'm at uh, Facebook and Twitter, Rise to Offend. Uh, Instagram, Rise to Offend Official. This week, guys, really excited i got jonathan nunez from torch on the show we are here to talk about their new record admission which is coming out this friday july 12th love the record you know what else i love mm. the fact that they named their album something we can pronounce without having to google the translation yes. mm. it's like there's always these big words now like stop with the four syllable album names it's mm. hurting my brain mm. <laughs> if anybody understands my pain it's Pete's the guy going Pete's caveman grunt. It's the guy yeah. that uh, has yeah. to read them. Mispronounces <laughs> everything. How about the guy uh. that mispronounces words that aren't even that hard to pronounce? Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Nuclear. <laughs> I said antithesis one time instead of antithesis. <laughs> and then mercury. <laughs> antithesis. It was, it was when we, uh, we interviewed Origin. And I was like, I know that word. Why did I say it wrong? <laughs> well, I was always saying laboratory, but it's laboratory. I think laboratory is also correct. Yeah. There's dual pronunciations of words. Boom, word. yes. I'm smarter than Pete. Go. Admission. <laughs> Guys, we'll, we'll play two tracks. It's coming out this Friday. So we just want to touch on the one major story that Metal Sucks touched on this week. And we're not going to go into full details about it. So I'm going to give you guys a quick rundown. And then we're just going to have a discussion about how we feel vetting is very important for us as listeners in the metal uh, world right now. A band that's uh, a super group of many bands comprised, Tau Cross. They, uh, this would be their third record coming out, but they have gotten critical acclaim and have put out two fantastic records on a label that we as metalheads trust extensively. That's Relapse Records. And what happened this week is that Relapse Records dropped Tau Cross and they gave them back their masters and they took all of their older albums off their platforms because 
frontman Rob Miller in his liner notes for their new record, Messengers of Deception, thanked a, a Holocaust denier. Now, we obviously are very happy that they read their liner notes and they found this. It was actually uh, given to the label manager, Rennie Jaffe, by a German magazine, Ox, over the weekend that was brought to his attention. That's very good because if this album was released and that was in the liner notes, then obviously Relapse Records would have a little mark on them. So luckily they vetted it and they're aware of how important that is. The rest of the band in, the, in, in Tau Cross, uh, one of them who was away from Voivod, a band that I'm very fond of, all put out their own statement saying they had no idea who this guy was that he put in the liner notes or had any idea about Rob Miller's affiliation for this kind of conspiracy theory. So we feel that the rest of the band was unaware. I don't think any of us here really feel that they should be accountable for what he put in the liner notes. What do you guys think? Oh, not at all. I And I also don't, I mean... I don't know that we, we hold people accountable to like the people that they're related to. And th- I don't think that that's right either. You know, guilty by association. Yeah. yeah it happens. I don't think it that happens. that's also right. I'm not saying that this guy isn't an awful person for being a Holocaust denier. I'm just saying maybe this was an unknown fact to a lot of people. Like we can't always assume that, you know, that's the basis of their friendship. <laughs> well, well, the record label and those four guys. And when it is a super group, a lot of the times files are going to be passed and shared as they're, they're creating this record, which I don't know the facts on that. So I'll let that go. But they all live in completely different regions. But what I'm saying is, is for them to, it'd be one thing if he was just kind of like, you know, down in the notes and he's like, I want to think this, this, this. And by the way, there was no Holocaust. Okay. That's easy to figure out. But if it's some guy's name, like the band is going to be held accountable. Like no. if they don't know who the guy's name is, if, they, if they've never heard this name before, like, of course. And if they did, they probably would have like, dude, you're going to go put a Holocaust denier's name into the notes. Like you're ruining all of our chances. Now. Yeah. Like you're doing this to all of us now. Like, what are you doing? And now with things like this, and then Rob Miller, the front man, I'm not going to read any of his statements. Uh, unfortunately, he has some issues in his mind that he has to figure out himself. And, and unfortunately, like he did double down and own the statement and all that stuff, but also said some very heinous stuff. But again, I don't want to revert that. If you guys want to check it out, please go to metalsucks.net. His statements are posted in three different articles in full. But what this does for us as a metal community, and we've been here for a while now, is that we as listeners now are kind of being forced to vet our artists so we don't get caught up in this supporting bands that, quite frankly, have really dark and idealistic views. It's exhausting. I can't like anybody anymore without doing a background check. Guys (laughs) guys like Varg or whatever like that we don't talk about because that was from back in the day. But something like this caught me off guard. I do own a Tau Cross record as as back in the day when, you know, the thing we found out about Inquisition. I have three of Inquisition records at the time, you know. Yeah. But like these are bands that I spend a lot of time and effort kind of knowing. And then when you find out stuff like this, because we don't know them on a personal level and you never want to take lyrical content to be of a dark or hateful way, even though a lot of the music is inner. But what do we do as a community? Because not only can something like this, when things like this come out and you have the true story of the Inquisition guys, like everybody goes, go fuck Inquisition, or obviously Rob Miller, not the rest of the guys at Tau Cross, and this comes out, what happens is there's a real dangerous scale of now we can point the finger at the wrong people and end careers in wrong ways and do a lot of different things. This kind of opens up the floodgates, but how do we as consumers and as listeners, as human beings, make those judgments today? I mean, for me, I think it all comes from people's react. I think the way people react to things tells you the most about them. Like when, because when you're reactive, you're not thinking, you know what I mean? When you're all emotional about it. And I think the fact that 
everyone in the band was like, whoa, we didn't know. We're so sorry. Like that is not affiliated with us. Like that's the correct reaction. That's a reaction that makes me go, okay, yeah, this person didn't know, you know, like people are like, they could lie. Oh, I don't give a shit. Like as long as you're out there trying to be remorseful and showing me that you're human, I understand everyone makes mistakes. Like, and I think for me, it's important that if I am going to treat my artists as humans, that they act like humans. Are we allowed to say people that are Holocaust deniers? Obviously, Rob Miller wasn't around when the Holocaust occurred. Or the false flag people that say these shootings that are happening are... Garbage? Or yes. actors Garbage, or whatever like that. Terrible. No, I <laughs> yeah. mean, are, are we allowed to stop giving them maybe press, ignoring them, and saying that there is a mental health condition for someone to pretend they know something when they've never actually been there or seen anything or be a part of that and just go through the internet and say, I know something? Are we allowed to... Consider that a men- mental health thing, or is it something that we should just publicly attack and shame? I, I think because of the internet, it's it's mixed bag. You know, there's a lot of conspiracy, and you know, I don't want to be disrespectful. There's a lot of people who have you know these ideas about you know things that have happened in secret in our world, and they have these conspiracy theories that they believe in or don't believe in or whatever. And I think that there is a percentage of them that are mentally ill. There's a percentage of them that are struggling just to be a part of the everyday society. But I also think there's a percentage of them that are just trusting gullible people who were duped by a friend or family member. And that's how I feel about Away being in this band, because that's why I bought the, the first Tal Krause record. I know he's not at fault, but right. I own that record because of you and Voivod Away. All right? Yeah. So anyways, I mean, I'm, but that's what I'm saying. There is a, a yeah. like, I'm I'm going to take whatever that guy's doing and be like, I, I you know, vouch for, he did his vetting, but in essence, like... Obviously, I, I, there's no fault to the other four guys, but I, I don't feel any sympathy for someone like Rob Miller who has this no. hateful um, type of To be propaganda. confronted with it and then to still be like, no, 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 I have I, no sympathy. I don't have sympathy. I just have, um, I, I as one feel like as a society that this keeps becoming more and more normal with a lot of people because they want to choose things like this to believe. And like I said, it's, it's a choice because when you choose to believe a lie to a point where you're going to read more books about that lie, you want to believe it. Yeah, yeah you exactly. Want no matter, to no matter what, it. no matter this, what, that to me is a mental yeah. deficiency that yeah. you want to believe something horrific like that and deny it. Well, no, no matter how much evidence you show these people, they're going to stand, they're going to die on that cross. And unfortunately more people want to be right. That's all it's, that's all the internet is about. That's all it feeds into is those people that just have to be right. And no matter what, doesn't matter if they weren't alive at the time, doesn't even matter if they've even visited Holocaust sites, they're still gonna go, Oh, they could just they just erected that just to trick us. They're just holding on to this lie. They're just white knuckling this lie. Unfortunately, the government has been caught red handed lying to us. We all know that. Everybody who is under a government understands that. But the problem is, is they think that just because they got caught lying to them on this one time, now everything is a lie. Now every major thing is in history is a lie. They're just doing this to keep us in check. And unfortunately, like nobody really knows unless you were there. I think where is comfort in that paranoia? That's, where, there is none. There is a, no comfort. So it's, it's that's what I'm saying. Well, by the mental, comfort, the comfort is spreading it things, in this world. In they this can't world. process them in this world. They can't accept that this world hasn't always been the world. Right. And there was a time where the world was a very, very dark place and things weren't exactly on the same scale of humanity. You know, like you can go back to many different generations. But the fact if you didn't live, I'm not going to use the Holocaust as an example, but if you didn't live in the wild, wild west of the 1800s, quite frankly, you can't say what it was like. 
you have no idea what it was like. Right. And these Holocaust deniers aren't going to, uh, not to specifically attack them, but they're not going to Holocaust survivors and fucking specifically attack them. Go right ahead. Thank you. Um, I just, I don't like to attack anyone, but Holocaust deniers aren't going to some Holocaust survivor and, and, and investigating it. They're not denying it because they, they did the research. They they're denying it because they Googled something, found some conspiracy theory video on YouTube. They did a study that showed most people who believe in conspiracy theories got most of their information from YouTube. From YouTube. Well, no, that's, that's what There's I'm saying. There's a video on YouTube of my dog eating 12 deviled eggs. Like, that's not where you should go for information. Right. We had a, a friend, not a friend anymore, but, I mean, we talked about it one time. Or, or oh, on I almost show killed this him. guy. Yeah, but, I mean, he, he, he called us during the mass shooting out here in Vegas saying, ah, oh, look at all those actors. Like, virtually in a text thread with all of us out here. And he was the kind of guy that would tell us that Sandy Hook was fake and all that stuff. And we, we really came to him, and his name was Joe. And we're like, Joe, dude. You have to stop this. You need to get help. He didn't want it. His belief system that it got to the point where that's all he wanted in his life was to think he was being lied to and have that fear and anxiety. Like I said, the mental disorder feel alive. of this person, yeah, it makes him feel alive. I think it's just another way for people not to be accountable. What we do when we find a band that is special that we really like is that we tell our friends, we pass it along, we have to do that. But we now as a community, we have to be aware that we have to do our own vetting. We have to find out about the people involved in the band. We have to find out because you don't want to promote or sell, especially in a, in a, in a, in a genre and community that quite frankly, like is overrun at this point. You don't want to get something like that ahead of the game. So that sucks as a fan. It's part of the world now. We have to do our vetting. We have to know who we're supporting and we want to support the right people, deservingly so. They deserve the support. If you're a good person, you want to make sure that that's who yeah. you're, you're Can't up Can't get off lost of. in the music anymore. Yeah, it's, it's uh, sad but true on, on some levels. So, And if you, if you have the excuse of like, I don't care, I, I'm not going to judge the artist, that's fine. Live your life. But in actuality, like if you are supporting something that you that is hateful and hurtful to other people, then you are in some way back to Jocelyn's word accountable. So with that, guys, moving forward, I want to jump to our interview. Had a great time finally getting to chat with Jonathan Nunez of Torch. Here we go. Jumping into the interview. Everybody, what is going on? It's Petter with the Metal Sucks podcast on the phone. I got Jonathan from Torch. We are here to talk about the new album, Admission, which comes out July 12th. And you're first as a guitar player on uh, for the band. Tell us the decision to switch instruments and uh, why. Um, well, it came about um, in between two tours. We were doing a European tour with Red Fang. And then uh, I just feel like, you know, it was, it was something that uh, was on our minds for a little bit. And I think, like, you know, nothing negative or nasty or anything like that it was just like the time had come and you know the core of the band was um wanting to do certain things and it just it was just time to you know uh move forward and uh the the most logical thing was um presented by steve and rick was like hey you know you play guitar on the records you know like you add stuff whether it's leads licks or you know ambient texture stuff um what if you know, what if you played guitar and we got our friend Eric to play bass? I'm like, that's, that's great. I'm, I'm totally into that. And, uh, you know, it's actually, we, we were thinking about doing some, something like that, um, years ago, but, um, yeah, we had, you know, we did have Andrew and it was great for uh, harmonic craft and then, um, you know, restarter, uh, 
it was a little different. But after that, I feel like, you know, we had grown in different directions or whatnot. So we took it upon ourselves to really uh, jump in the fire and uh, in nine days change the lineup a bit. Uh, and, uh, you know, I needed to grab a guitar and figure that out. Um, and then just, just jumped into a, a U.S. tour um, with Red Fang and, it was great. It felt great. Um, it was a lot of like this new refreshed energy and, you know, excitement in what we were doing as well as like excitement getting geared up to do, you know, write the next record or continue writing the next record actually. Now on this record admission, um, you guys all brought in three songs, I believe that you kept. So it's very collaborative. Do you think changing instruments in some way kind of motivated that for you as a writer? Yeah, for me personally, like, uh, it definitely did. There's always been a certain, you know, I don't know, uh, vibe that I've always added in on certain tracks, like whether it's a little passage or some overdubs with guitars. So I feel like stuff that was in the mix before and possibly even like, you know, just kind of like a part of the music, but not necessarily up front really came to the uh, surface on this record. Um, so it, you know, let me kind of like incorporate things that I would do like on my other stuff or stuff that just sits, you know, in the studio with me and I just accumulate <laughs> it and, uh, that along with stuff that I wanted to be playing live with Torch and really take advantage of the two guitars, um, you know, two guitars in a band scenario. So I, I kind of went for it in certain aspects where i was like man just i want to do this or i wanted to do something like this and really push some you know new um influences that i had you know cooking up in my head or something and you also sat in the producer chair on this album which you handled in the past um as well but how important is that role to you at this stage in the band's career um it's i think it's really important um as it's been in the past but with this one we really wanted to just have as an accurate representation of the band as possible. So my vision, you know, is throughout the past has always been like making sure that the band sonically um, translates to, you know, how our guitars are dialed in and the energy we are, um, you know, feeling for these songs, you know, record by record. So for this one, I, you know, and changing instruments was a huge deal. So, uh, there was a lot that went into it actually, you know, from, you know, different forms of writing. Uh, we wrote some of it in like Miami, the West coast, uh, Gainesville, Florida. One song I wrote came, was put together before a Gojira tour in Grand Junction, Colorado. And throughout this whole process, I actually, with my partner in a, an amp pedal and cabinet company, I have, we developed guitar amps, pedals, uh, bass pedals, to really capture like the depth, detail, and true voice of the instruments and the tunings that, that we were uh, using and are using. And so it was like, I wanted them to be captured in a very honest way where it would translate to a listener that would hear the band live, who would pick up a record or CD, whatever format, you know, people are into nowadays and pop that on either that night or the following day and get as close to the same feeling that they got, you know, when they saw us live. And that was my, my, um, you know, like destination with this record. I wanted to, it to translate 
as close as possible to what we sound like playing in a, in a room together and have, you know, the nuances of our personalities coming through the instruments and let the songs breathe, uh, be more dynamic. Uh, and also never, you know, pushing back the, the essence of the band, you know what I mean? Like by flattening out and over compressing and doing certain things product production wise that would hide what the sonic experience is when the band plays live, you know? So that was my goal. And to have something that isn't harsh and expands with volume as you turn it up, this record will sonically engulf the space you listen to and it won't tire your ears out. So you can spin it again. Um, you can listen to it as loud as you want, and it, it just holds together. There's, you know, this very musical aspect um, to the mix, and it all goes, you know, from the guitars we played, the equipment, the recording techniques I use and all that. So I'm, I'm really happy with how it turned out, and the mastering, you know, took that and preserved it and, you know, heightened the feeling that I was chasing, which is ultimately why everyone felt very comfortable um, having me do everything this time around. And you mentioned that the album was written in different locations as because you guys do live in different regions of the States. Now, for you as a writer, and maybe the other guys in the band, if you want to talk for them on that as well, do you like writing songs at home in a comfortable place, or is it okay to be in a different place and feel a little less comfort when writing? I, I think there's definitely benefits to uh, both scenarios. And uh, for us in the past... You know, uh, ideas can stem from something you play at home or sometimes something that's done in the moment, whether you're feeling inspired or frustrated. You know, it can go either way. So with that being said, like, I feel we all had songs or at least parts or riffs, you know, ready, regardless of what would happen, you know, in the moment while traveling to like different places or even if we were the ones in our hometown at for those writing, um, you know, segments, it, it's always a plus to have stuff ready, you know, and like we, we've gotten to a point where the demos will literally have all the instruments, um, you know, mapped out and like you're literally hearing the song as pretty much completed. But I feel like with us, the excitement, you know, grows when everybody adds in their, you know, their flavor to it. And I think we actually write anticipating that you know um we can have a song completely you know written 100 percent, but someone might be like hey why don't we cut the rhythm here or the rhythm section can do a halftime or a stop and start and you know things can start really um getting uh just more exciting you know or sometimes like yeah that's done so i think like having something in the back, like, you know, the, in your, it's like you have something in store for any sort of like break or, or, you know, kind of when some, when there's a lull in the writing process, but I feel like that's when things really come together. When there's like a little bit of like, okay, we, we finished the song. Now we got to do another one because we don't live in the same city. And in the past we've had writing sessions that are, eight, 10, 12 hours, you know, nonstop, nonstop. Like some records were actually written like that, you know, like restarted was written in like two, like 12 or to 14 days nonstop. And this one, when it's 
all together i think it was like about a month or so you know so we had a little more time and everyone had more stuff prepped at home but you definitely there are pros to just showing up and like having something come together and sometimes those are the ones that are really exciting because there's so much you know in the moment going on and you're you're just writing it seeing where it goes and it's you know it ends up being like the newest song so there's that too it's like well this is as new as it gets it's just happened right now the magic of the energy right right yeah. away i like that yeah yeah it's very true uh, we've all felt it either in some form i think as humans you just feel this energy you can't explain and yeah. uh, especially in creating so one thing i, I always want to bring up with bands that that I think are very good with their fans and putting out um, records and vinyls and stuff like that. Um, you guys do put out a lot of limited edition vinyls and splits at different times of your career. Now, tell us a little about the financial side to get these out and if it is profitable for you guys these days. Yeah, I feel like, you know, when you're working in our scenario, like we, you know, with a record uh, label and whatnot, like there's a budget that's, you know, you know, agreed on and, you know, you go in and you send your contract and, and all that. And, you know, you, you budget it out. And sometimes you, you really uh, stretch the budget and sometimes you deplete it, you know, but with us, like, I guess like we're so used to the process at this point that I feel like we come out, um, you know, where we're able to record our record, get the mastering we like, um, and, you know, obviously compensate ourselves for the time we're taking out of our personal, like, you know, I record bands and now I have the equipment company. So we're cranking out pedals and tabs and heads and, you know, it's all this stuff takes up time. A drummer has a, uh, of a print shop. So everybody, you know, is literally stopping their, you know, their job, their life in a sense. And, taking the time out to write this so you're kind of like you need a, a little bit of you know either you save up for it or you get a little we you have to budget that in to your rec recording budget and you're literally working for future pay you know what i mean you got to put in the time writing it put in the time recording it and then wait for everything of you know whether it's the pr or the manufacturing of the record release date and then once you hit the road then you can start, you know, financially recouping what you've put or into it or what you sacrifice going into it. You know what I mean? Because whether you're not working or you're investing in it, they're both investments one way or the other. So with splits, there's a little more freedom, you know, where like, you know, we, we've done a few. So it just varies on what you want out of it. You know, I think it's cool when bands go for different, um, you know, aesthetic sonically um, on certain uh, releases, whether they're like EPs or singles or splits. But those, I think you can just go into it and it's a faster process. You know what I mean? Like whether they're covers or originals, there is kind of, I guess, at least for us, a little less, um, I don't want to say thought, but less stress because you're not taking on an entire record. This is like, yeah, man, these couple songs, we're writing it um, right now and we're in the heat of the moment. Let's just track it. And so it's, it's a fun thing. You know, it's almost like a, just it's light, a light, um, you know, investment, you know, stress wise, because you're just going to do one or two songs and it's fun. It's cool. And you put it out and it's not your record. You know what I mean? Like the record 
is the record and it's going to be what you're going to tour on for you know forever essentially but at least two years non-stop on it or three or so so the the splits and all that they're like kind of like fun like they're just a, f- a more fun version of the record because it's shorter it's faster less stress less money you know but you know it's it's definitely a fun thing to do and you know people that collect records or want songs in between releases get a you know enjoy it and sometimes there's those people just screaming for those songs the you know the deep cuts live and that's that's always gratifying absolutely yeah i i, I am t- i'm one of those guys i love it okay so, there you go <laughs> yeah I totally am i never get them but it's okay um uh, the, what is your you like i said what is your uh favorite we're not talking about albums we're talking about just the limited edition releases or the splits that you put out what is your favorite of of that catalog it's a it's a little hard because i think like there's fun in um different types of things you enjoy from different ones like there's like the meanderthal demos were cool because that's like complete heat in the moment and that was like you know the songs as they're being written and like all right we're just excited for the label to hear it and i mean shit we're excited to hear it and like to hear it while we're not playing because it's so new but i feel going into like favorite favorite you know there's the split we did with Parchimp, which is a Guided by Voices cover, which is a band that we really like. And we went for more, you know, just a stripped down, like raw sound, like lo-fi, like, yeah, just there it is, whatever. You know, and it, we had fun doing that. And it was actually recorded and just put together a, in a weekend before we left on a tour. So that's about as fast as we've ever done anything. <sighs> but maybe the Boris split. I think the Boris split, the 10-inch, because that was only we came we became a three-piece and that's like you know there's always been the core of the band the three of us steve rick and i and like that was just us having fun and riding a sort of high uh, having come off tour with boris and having them you know uh suggest that was a huge honor and just going into it it was a fun song and that the artwork is cool um Atsuo was excited and, you know, Takeshi. I don't know. It was just a good, it, it was like a, a really good feeling to get offered, you know, hey, let's do a split. We're fucking Boris. And we we liked touring with you guys and we had such a great time. Like, we need more. It was like, hell yeah. So that was fun. And, you know, we did some like overdubs and trying to get some like chains dragging type sounds. And it was just fun. And that, that came together like, we got together, we wrote it, we recorded it, and that it was done. You know, so that, I, I'd say that one, and it was a cool collaboration between the art, music, and the bands. And there had been a history from touring together, and it, it solidified a friendship and a bond that we had. There was a statement in the I read in the PR thing that you stated, uh, which was, "In a world full of Sabbaths, we get to be Van Halen." Which yeah. makes so much sense to me. But what did you mean by that? Well, first I'll say I love Sabbath. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, come on. And uh, it's not. And when I said that, I'm like, shit. I hope that doesn't get misinterpreted or anything. But I just feel that there's some bands that get to just do what they do, and you can. And I mean, Sabbath is no exception. But I feel like it's not their fault that you know, twenty, thirty um, odd years later, like a bunch of bands honed in on certain aspects of their sound. And just kind of like 
you know, rode that and are continuing to ride that. And that's cool. But I guess that statement directly relates to us, you know, not fitting into that mold exactly. And yeah, we can go in and out of it. Sure. And there's certain things that we love and are, you know, can be considered very Sabbath-esque. But the fact that, like, I think that even the earlier Van Halen is what I'm referring to, where they, like, went in and out of, like, rock and rolls, kind of like punk. There was some experimenting with, like, synths. There was, like, they can be serious. They can be funny or happy. They could write a ballad. They can be fucking heavy, you know, like, big sounds and or, you know ranging from like you know busier you know um compositions to like just straightforward rock and roll and it, it's kind of like i don't want to say a carefree attitude but just an honest in the moment attitude that i think completely um that appeals to us i mean as kids growing up we we're just like fuck yeah kiss van halen you know sabbath but when people try to like shove you into a category and like put you on a shelf and like, you know, lock you in, it's like, no, that's, I mean, are you, are you hearing? Are you listening? Um, there, there's just so much more to certain bands than, uh, you know, what they can get perceived as or, you know, uh, locked in because I feel that we can go from, even live, I think that's what makes it fun. It's like, it's a, it's been described as a journey. Like, holy shit, that was a fucking journey. Cause it can go from uplifting and heavy to, you know, super heavy. And I, I don't know, mean, if you will, <laughs> aggressive and sometimes shoegazy and ambient, but and driving. So there's like so much more than just like a gallop riff or, you know, you know, kind of like a, a Southern scale, bass song or something it's it just feels like a little bit a little bit just incomplete of a statement or a description to call a band like us this or just that you know and that's what we're like it's like being we're just a loud rock and roll band you know just a lot more to it but if if you're trying to show us in to such a limited title or categories like well let's run with this then because some of my favorite bands, I feel like that's what they are and there's so much more, but maybe that's just easier for some people to digest or they, they need to carp, you know, put everything into like a little, a little sub genre or whatever. I just get a kick out of bands like us making it hopefully progressively harder and more difficult to shove us into like some sort of assembly line cookie cutter title. You know, it's like I get a kick out of that for sure. No, dude, I and that's that is a, a very positive and great thing. That's one of the most appealing things about bands, uh, like you mentioned that you might be fans of. And when you talk about the early Van Halen, I always bring that up to people. Like they were from seventy eight to eighty four. Think about all the growth in six years through all those records. The early Van Halen, um, of course, yeah. It, it's the eras. You're like, wow, what about the nineteen eighty four area or the Women and Children era? And I'm like, that was only six years. Where yeah, a lot of other yeah. bands. Not talking crap about Sabbath. Sabbath is a godfather. And no. as, as we mentioned, the growth yeah. took a lot longer. There was mm-hmm. a, a, you know what I'm saying? So 
And then when you got to Van Hager, I don't think there was any growth, but that's just me talking. No, talking. I, I didn't, I yeah. didn't even get there. <laughs> even I w- as a kid, I was like, mm-mm, mm-mm. Oh really? For me, I'll, I'll I'll always give them credit for for unlawful carnal knowledge. I will rec- listen to that record till the end of time. Okay. I do like that. I'm telling <laughs> you, if anybody else hasn't, uh, I, I'm an old school Van Halen fan. What did you think about the a different kind of truth, the reuniting uh, record with David Lee Roth? Because I loved it, and everybody else, all my friends, didn't like it. Okay, that's the, it. Has Chinatown on it, right? Yes, that's the one with Chinatown. Dude, that sound, that song is crazy as hell. That that opening scale. Yes. Like I think I don't know if it wasn't his son and him. Like I mean, not not talking shit about um Mike and Michael Anthony, but holy shit, man, that is some crazy. I mean, it's just like that's so exciting to hear because it's like, I mean, Eddie Van Halen's over. Ridiculous. He's like one of the best guitar players ever, and he was shredding, you know, back then. And like, hey, here's something. I mean, at this point, that record came out, you know, some time ago, but that is so current yet classic and tasteful within like the heritage that is his signature, you know, style and the history that of his playing, and that's been obviously, you know, captured throughout his records. It's like, holy shit, the dude. The dude's ribbings, like still, no doubt. Yeah. But I thought that was that was good, and it's not like, you know, I was just like, oh, I mean, is it going to be too show tuny or like, you know, I don't know what it's going to be like due to like certain ways I've seen <laughs> David Lee Roth behave on current day TV. I'm like, he's a little bit, you know, Vegasy or Prozacy or something. I don't know, but that I think there's there's at least a couple. I, I haven't listened to that in a minute, but there was at least two songs on there that I was like, yeah, these are jams, you know? Dude, revisit. Yeah, Tattoo, I think, is the, the first single, and that one's not a jam. But Yeah, uh, no, I was like, why? Why did he do that? Yeah, that like, is... there's, these other two were the shit. Yeah, there's like, so that's probably the worst song on the record, uh, which, <laughs> yeah, to I mean, be honest fuck. with you, and that was the first, but I think everybody kind of wrote off the record because that was the single. And man, yeah. that was a mistake. Anyway, sorry, the, the Van Halen uh, love. Did you like Black Sabbath 13th? Because I love that one too. You know what? I, I did hear that single and it's just like they knew Didn't they know. knew what maybe what they wanted to revisit yeah. from their catalog. I mean, they have great stuff too that really does branch out. Um, you know, and I feel like they, you know, that's why I like that statement. I'm like, shit, I hope people get what I'm getting at. But um they they did, but I feel like it's almost even like not them. It's not a comment regarding Sabbath. It's more like the later two thousand five or six on um, DNA of bands that like took a certain aspect or an aesthetic of their sound. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's not really directed towards them because you know Tony Iommi, Geezer Butler, The Ward, Ozzy, they were doing things. They were spreading it out, man. Bands back then, they had, like, because everybody was coming out with stuff, and it was more of, like, a friendly rivalry, and uh, I feel like things were more spread out than years and decades later when bands were like, okay, we just want 20% of your sound, or 30, you know, and that's it. That's all we need. We don't want the other stuff, you know? So I feel like, you know, hopefully that comment doesn't, you know, come back um, misunderstood or whatnot, but... um yeah, I think I think people get it. I think it's just more of like an overall, you know, just statement saying when people are holding in on something, just we can't do anything but hone in or just express 
what's going on in our head at that point in time. And then the next record is going to be different. And the one after is going to be different, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't think uh, I, I totally got it when I read it. I'm like, I okay, exactly cool. <laughs> what you're talking about. And I think the majority of us will, because it, there's a, there's a, there's a process and a growth to who gets mimicked the most are those that, yeah. that and this is going to sound bad on my end. Those that can get mimicked, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like you can learn how to yeah. play like them and like, I can mimic this where there's other bands where like, no, you can't mimic Eddie Van Halen. You can try, no. you know, but yeah. you can't. And that's, that's kind of how I was taking it. Is that like, we're going to have to find a different path because yeah. we're not trying to mimic and that, so it's a very positive thing, but you did. Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I'm telling you, like, I think, I think the majority of people got that as well. And, um, awesome. you did, you grew up in Miami during a, an interesting time. So what are some of yes. the uh, influences from that time that we may be surprised to know influence you today? Yeah, I, I think I was thinking about this yesterday, actually. I was like, man, it's just, I feel like all the things that were around while growing up and then got exposed to, I would say for me, you know, late eighties into the nineties, you know, what was going on, like mid, you know, mid eighties on, there was a lot of different things happening. Like seventies rock was pretty heavy duty down here. And like, you know, there was obviously a heavy serving of disco and all that. But, you know, by the time I was like coherently listening to music, I guess I could say it was on the radio. Like I was listening to like, you know, Hispanic music, Latin music, um, mainly what my parents played just like any other kid, but I was exposed to like a lot of synth based music, you know? So all this synth based music had this like, boom, like this body, this low end, that glow, that curious sound, you know, for a child, like what the hell is that? So I was, I was hearing things from like new order, Duran Duran, um, two life crew, craft work, um, freestyle, Miami bass, and then classic rock. Um, and then fast forward to the early 90s. Um, you know, there was, holy shit, what's this metal stuff? You know what I mean? It was like, I was into oldies and stuff like that in elementary school. So pretty innocent child. And then I heard the you know, the whole grunge things, you know, happened and exploded. And, you know, I hadn't really tapped into underground music yet because I was like a child. And so, you know, like got into the grunge thing, but I had older friends that immediately were like, hey, kid, we're, we're advanced. Check this out. And then it was like, holy shit, thrash metal. I'm like, this shit is pissed and fast as fuck. This is awesome. And, you know, they were like, they were feeding me stuff. And sometimes they would give me shit like, hey, man, you just like this because we like it. I'm like, hell no, I'd like it because this. And I would like elaborate as a child. I'm like, all right, all right, all right. And um, once I got, then it was like the thrash metal thing. And then it was interesting to actually revisit, you know, like classic rock, but I guess with a different set of ears because I was starting to like really listen to the sounds, you know, and I, and I was, I was in like fifth grade or something. So I'm like picking up on like, I guess the, you know, like the sounds, the sonic identity of these bands and fast forward to sixth grade. I was like, I went to like a laser show, probably like the only person not on drugs in there and a little sixth grader and like hanging out. 
and it was a laser show, and it was like a, a Hendrix one, and I was just fucking, I might as well have been on drugs. I was just like completely engulfed in this. I was like, whoa. And the visuals and the sounds and the saturation, you know, the sounds were bigger and like more driven than the metal stuff. So I went back and listened to the metals. I'm like, man, some of this stuff sounds a little like smaller, a little more like the guitar sounds are scooped. I mean, I didn't know how to describe that back then, but I was like, man, I got to go back to the laser shit. That thing is, you know, it's a gateway. So I think I went back and I saw like Zeppelin 4 was like completely revolutionary, you know, and uh, I bought the tape. Um, I went back for a Pink Floyd and I was like super introspective. Again, this is all as a sober, like, I don't know, 11 year old or maybe 10 year old or something. And I don't know, that's when I really got into sounds and I remember riding the truck with my dad one day and I was like, it was like unchained or something was on the radio. And, and after the song, I'm like, man, I want to play, I think I want to play guitar. I was just thinking out loud. It wasn't even like asking, Hey man, can you like help me out or something? But I was just, I think I want to play guitar. And he started laughing. There's no musicians in our family that I'm aware of. Um, and he was like, you want to be like those guys? And this was like Miami, Hispanic, Cuban culture. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like, so I was coming out of like left field with this shit. Like, what you're gonna play you can do that you think you can do that like it's so far removed from every like all the kids i was growing up with like it just wasn't what was you know what was popular or or you know something you saw consistently so it's like all right tell you what let's get you uh an acoustic guitar and take it i'm like ah shit i'm like i want the electric one he's like yeah 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 but you know you might not like it and then you know it's you know whatever. i'm like all right deal so i went and i got in like seventh grade i got a guitar class and my mind was completely blown when I went over to my friend's house, a friend I had just made in, in school. We walked over and he had this like knockoff Les Paul and a little crate amp that had like super eighties sounding distortion. And he was telling me like, he played guitar. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. I'm like, shit. I'm like, man, can I check it out? Or something like, yeah, yeah, come over. We'll go after school. Like no one will be home. So we could turn it up. I'm like, oh man, this is going to be awesome. So went over, this kid played four chords and my mind was shattered. And I was like, can you show me how to do that? And he's like, yeah, it's super easy. I'm like, just show me those three. It was like E, F, and G. Like, he just played that in my, I was like, my whole universe imploded. I'm like, you're a child and you just did this. And it sounds like that. How do you do that? And he just showed me that. And I'm like, dude, I just need the chords. I don't need to learn anybody's music. I just want to play. You know, I'm like, I'm just fascinated that your hands could make that sound. So shortly after, I guess I was talking about it and, you know, I got, you know, this, you know, helped out with my dad's business or what, you know, with like at the farm working and, you know, he was like, all right, I'll hook you up. And like, I think for like 150 bucks, we got a really cheap guitar and amp and that's it. That was the obsession because I was skateboarding up until that point. I couldn't do a damn kickflip. So I'm like, this shit sucks. I'm over this. And I was like, so into the, everything lined up, you know, play guitar now, you know? So from there, you know, I learned some chords. I started like, I was so reluctant, even still to like learn other songs or covers. I just wanted to riff. I just wanted to mess around. And I wasn't, you know, too into doing leads, which not because I don't like them. It's just because I want to write songs. And just currently with this new record, I'm like, holy shit, I got to do this lead shit now. So figuring that out current day a little, you know should have started back then but uh yeah so it's just a fascination you know with like playing guitars and getting sounds and and then once everybody got older and got more instruments i mean 
older by a year, seventh, eighth grade. Um, I was the guy that opted to play bass in a band. I'm like, man, I'll fucking play. I just want to play, you know, like, oh, and everybody want to play guitar. I'm like, I don't care. I'll play bass and I'm going to dial it in. It's going to sound fucking crazy. And, you know, you're going to feel when I'm not playing that you're going to look over and be like, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. So that kind of stuck with me and all throughout middle school and high school, you know, getting into all sorts of music and, you know, the, you know, from the classic rock to the thrash metal, back to the classic rock to then like local punk bands and metal hardcore and then you know then electronic music was super appealing to me like apex twin got into like things like bjork and stuff like stuff that was just a little more there's more going on um sonically so that kind of resonated with the younger stuff with like the synths and uh, electronic based music and there was always an element of like dreamier shoegazy stuff like with like new order playing on the radio or you know like even i don't know like coffee twins were on the radio a bit things like that it was like it always and even electronic music and like techno stuff that was on the radio it always caught my attention like the textures the sounds and just the frequency the bandwidth um but throughout high school and all, i was just like playing in bands and whether it was like a, some dissonant noisy stuff or you know some stripped down you know fast punk grindcore stuff just playing through a bunch of stuff but it wasn't until like we started jamming with Steve after, you know, four almost got back together or, or they were going to start something new or whatever. Rick and I got in the mix and we got exposed to a bunch of stuff that I'm like, I've always listened to aspects of certain music that all these new bands we were being exposed to had, but this was like a focus and almost pure version of that element. I'm like, whoa. And, you know, throughout high school, I got exposed to more music than at any other point in my life, you know. And uh, I feel like that's what makes me so happy to be in a band like Torch, because I feel like all that inspiration and all that stuff, whether it's it stems from some, like, post-punk stuff, whether it, like, or, or metal or electronic or ambient or experimental and noise stuff, like, it, 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 uh, it, it hones in this like personality or this spectrum of music that I'm into. And I get to like naturally like create with my friends and create and like pull from those things or it naturally it just manifests itself into what we're writing. So it's like, we get to touch on an, an array, you know, but growing up down here, it was very bizarre. I mean, it, down here, there's still just not a lot of bands, but what makes it special is everyone's doing different things and, and everybody doing different things. There's, not a bunch of bands doing one sound and you know there's true personality and passion that goes into it because no one's trying to like jump in on a trend or anything because there's not too many you know bands down here and everyone's trying to like just have their identity and their own voice music had that for a little while too um i think that it was a necessary thing to have an identity in your own voice and then i mean I'm, i don't want to blame the internet um, cause I feel like I do that a mm -hmm. lot for things, but I mm -hmm. think that's spread things out so far that yeah. original voices were out there, but were being copied before we knew who was original. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you have a bunch of bands that were really ahead of their time before the internet, you know, and mm -hmm. now they're, now they're like enjoying the fruit of their creative labor or whatever. And you have bands coming back and releasing the record 20, 30 years later and they're, in my opinion, getting like a recognition and 
you know, you know, their tours are bigger and better and like they're enjoying it. And, you know, I mean, it's almost like it's half a lifetime in between when they were doing it and now when they picked it up and a lot of it starts as like reunions and then there's the tour and then give it a year or something and boom, there's a new record. And I mean, it's not always great, but there's some, there's some stuff that like, yeah, they still have it. They've always had it. And I feel like nowadays everything's so immediate. Um, you find about anything like, I mean, at any point in time, you can find out about so many things and you're more likely to come across stuff that you and your friends are into, um, much easier than before, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's also a lot of saturation and there's a lot of stuff that can just sift through. And sometimes that pulls you out of the digging mode or whatever, but I feel like we live in an interesting time and it's just a lot of great stuff out there and you can come across it pretty uh, easily, you know? Yeah. And that immediacy, I think takes away some of that excitement. And that's the one thing I don't yeah. like about it. Cause the excitement, yeah. the, Oh, I have to get here to get there, to get there, to get to that mm-hmm. the journey to even like get to it. Always, uh, always like I have a lot of memories of that, you know, where yeah. now it's just it's click, you know? And yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, like you, you find something and like, you can't, yeah, I heard one song on a, on a mixtape or something that was handed to me. I'm obsessed with this song. I'm like wearing out the damn tape. Now I'm ordering it or whatever, or sending off a payment through the mail. Will it get there? Will it not? When will it show up? Oh shit. It's going overseas. And then when you get it, you're, you're just, that is your universe for till you're like, you know, sick of it or you burn it out or something else shows up. But I feel like nowadays you can come across something be completely immersed in it and then within a week that's it it's done yeah. you know yeah. like you're like i've burnt, i've you know but i feel like i don't know i feel like there's there's always something there's always something and that's you know it always keeps me digging and like i'm happy to be you know surrounded by friends that are always pulling stuff on i feel like when we jump in the van it's always, everyone's always got something new you know what i mean whether it's like you know I mean, just recently on a couple of trips, I was really listening to a bunch of like stuff from New Zealand. So that was what was going on a couple months ago. And then, uh, recently, you know, I was digging into a little more like, you know, music that was either from Zambia and, uh, other parts of Africa or like the middle East or whatnot. And we're, we're always listening. You know what I mean? We're, I think people would be surprised that, I mean, shit, how little, um, uh, how little of what's played in the van, if any, mirrors what we sound like, if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, on an average, I'm, I'm listening to a lot of different things. And when we're in the mood for the loud, heavy, fast or whatever, like it's on, no doubt, you know, and, and when we're driving, I feel like sometimes it's fun to like zone out and just listen to stuff that like makes you think um or it's something that every measure it's new every measure that of music that's played is like i haven't heard this before where is it going i can't i cannot really predict where is this headed and that's exciting and oh have you heard this or this and that or i mean i think at this point we're having people like we just start playing it you know and like we're into it and individually that is and then if someone digs it, like, hey, hey, what is this? What? You know, it's always that. It's almost like this forever teenager shit where, like, you play something and, like, 
you wait a little bit, and like, man, I don't know this. All right, I gotta ask. I'm like, hey, man, what what, what are you playing? What's, what what do you what do you got going on here? And so it's kind of like a fun game, you know. It's like it is, but it isn't, but it really is. No. But in the end, we're we're exposing each other to new music, and it's exciting, and it's fun, and you know, it's like it's uh, it definitely helps with the drives. I'll tell you that. Yeah, dude, I, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Old friend, new friend is what I call it with music. If I if, <laughs> yeah, I, if yeah. I want to listen to my old friend, I'm gonna you know let me throw high on fire and let me just listen to an old friend. Let's just be good. Yeah, yeah. You know, but then let me try to make a new friend. It's a journey. You're like ah, we we can. Yeah, what's gonna happen? Yeah, yeah. and can, sometimes yeah, sometimes you 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 roll the dice on something, you know, and you're like you play it and you're like you might have not really dug in. So you know, if you're not trying to switch every single song, you know, it's almost like you might have the van might be bumping and people are into it and you, you know, there's always that like, Oh shit, is the next song going to be good? Or am I, am, am, you know, cause there's always a chance that like it's a one, a one track type of thing. And then mm-hmm. the other ones aren't really there. And then you don't want to be the guy that gets bumped off the stereo or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I totally, yeah, I completely, agree. <laughs> there's a band. It's actually, we're, we were talking about the nineties. There was a band that, um, and, Back in the day, people got to realize like we couldn't just Google it when we heard a song. So yeah, you, or Shazam it, or like be the cool guy. Exactly, Shazam it, stay quiet. You know. <laughs> and I heard a song in a is in a movie or a trailer or something, and it didn't, and I couldn't figure it out. And it was that band Curve. I don't know if you remember them from the nineties. I think they, Curve. Yeah. Yeah, I know the name, but I don't know that I've ever heard them. And uh, yeah, so there were, it was this one song I heard, and I can't remember where it was, but I could not locate who that band was. And Damn. We're, we're going to like 94, right? And then 97 okay. or something like that, I hear the song again in like another movie trailer. And at that point, I could locate it. And I remember, like, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm like, this was a four year journey to get to this. Yeah. Tape, right. So I, I went and got the uh, CD. I think it was a cassette tape at the time because. Back in 97 or whatever it was, it, I mean, you still can pick one or the other. And I would always pick tapes for new stuff because yeah. I might not like it. It was cheaper, right? You're yeah, on, cheaper. Yeah, you're totally. On, you're on a budget, right? And I remember mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I, it didn't speak to me. It was just that song. But the journey was fun, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so, man. And and it's awesome because you probably like, you know, would come and go with a thought. It was like, mm-hmm. damn. Or like you, or you might hear something that triggers a memory. You're like, shit, shit, that song. Still haven't found it. And, you know, years later boom there it is like oh shit and like sometimes i mean it's happened one thing that i that's you know not really related but you kind of get the same like holy shit feeling in a way is when you you're you hear a song and then years later you hear it again and you're like man you start jamming you realize that it's actually a cover and you dig back and sometimes you heard the original first because you're like when you hear it again like man it's a little different but sometimes it's so far, you know, apart from each other that you don't, you can't tell. And you're like, holy shit, look at these. There's all these versions of this song that's been covered. And I heard the original or I don't know. There's just so, so many like interesting, like roundabout ways of like finding a song. But I guess nowadays we have it pretty easy. But even still, there's a song recently that I was hunting at a record shop in Tampa and i you know i it's like all right this dude might know if i just describe this but it's a song that a friend showed me a while back that was a part of and i'm almost remembering the name of the podcast it was based in austin and there was this one song that predated so many fucking like heavy bands uh just on this one song and i remember i've found it before and now i've lost it again 
but it's a song that's so good and the lyrics of course is like this dude like yelling primitive man it's it kind of it's just like it really i know I'm, I'm not the only one that heard that and i think other people heard it and uh you know they went straight to band practice with it for sure but it's such a great song it's freaking heavy and uh yeah it's like i've only ever heard it off that podcast and then i think at a certain point i found it on youtube i don't know it's just you know the chase man the chase and like maybe i don't want to maybe i don't want to find it yet maybe i want to you know what i mean like because sometimes you go back and you're like yeah it's just the chorus that's really good the rest is just like filler between the chorus but sometimes it's these tracks that are just non-stop just killer you know yeah no absolutely but you nailed it with the chase as a, as a music yeah, fan man. like yeah i love i love the role of being a fan and trying to chase it and catch it down mm-hmm. and then see what the members are doing now and because yeah. it's very rare that a classic or a great song that just immediately grabs you and doesn't let go of you those dudes mm-hmm. or or those dudes or women are not still doing music it's very rare they step away yeah yeah so everyone's always up to something and maybe like you know the one person in the band is not doing music, but they're doing some crazy ass performance art or sculpture or something. You know, someone's, you can't just, once you get a taste and you play more than like a handful of shows. And especially if you get to like go on the road or, you know, just get that feeling out of it. That creative hunger is always going to be there and you're going to want to play. You're going to want to create. So sometimes they're not, you know, doing music, but they're doing other things that are, you know, a whole nother form of them expressing themselves. And I mean, you know, it, it might just be something right up your alley or at least something like, Holy shit, that's so cool. Or damn, that totally makes sense based off what they were providing for the band. Like now they're doing it visually and physically or whatever. Yeah, dude. No, absolutely. There's a movie I just saw recently and, uh, it's about all, you know, Hart, Laurel and Hardy. It's uh, called Stan and Ollie. I don't, I don't know if a lot of people saw this movie, but John C. Riley plays, uh, Hardy amazing okay. transformation and uh steve coogan is uh, laurel and it's called stan and ollie and it's about their final tour in london before they had to retire and it's uh-huh. this magic thing like we were just talking about is that like they don't care if they really die right now they just yeah. know they need to do this you know yeah before the yeah. time is gone and um and and like I said, the movie got to me. It got me teared up. I was just—it was like a happy joy, though. It wasn't like a yeah. sad joy. But also, hats off to the filmmakers if you guys haven't seen it. It's called Stan and Ollie. Yeah. But, um, I gotta what, I gotta check that out, dude. It's it's well worth your time. It's it, it came out. I feel like last year. It's it's a new film. You know. Um, okay. It's just I, same thing with with music and films. Like back in the day, I, I'd say this: I never miss anything great. But these days, I miss things all the time because there's so much out there. You know. So yeah, yeah. It's definitely one. Yeah, it's it's. I feel like, you know, we live in a time where like, you know, you try to remind yourself or like to visit things, but that those lists mm-hmm. just get longer and longer and longer. You know, you said it exactly, man. Exactly. There's, yeah. a, there's a list of books that used to be like 12 in my phone. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. 62 now. And I'm like, will you <laughs> ever get to this dude? <laughs> yeah. Like stop it. it. You just have to like, I wonder if you just need to take a year off everybody from like everything to catch up yeah, right. and then come back, you know, but eh, 
It's, it's, I feel that. Yeah, that's how I feel sometimes too. But uh, dude, John, you had had you on the phone for a long time already, man. But I do want to one more time bring up the record. Admission is coming out July twelfth, guys. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited about the record. I've been listening to it all week. It's fantastic. So I can't wait to get to make the you know people hear the song. We're gonna play a track after that, and then you guys are going on tour with Baroness, and uh, I think you're you're gonna play a couple shows with Where Your Wounds, which I don't know. If yeah, yeah. Play a lot and um, all that stuff. So it's yeah, gonna be an exciting summer, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if they're that busy, but um, yeah, it's gonna be like a good um, a good run with some friends. You know, we haven't um, toured with Baroness since 2006. We did a like a six six and a half week european tour where it was uh both bands with all the equipment in one sprinter um you know using a garmin uh gps um uh, to get through europe uk and uh, scandinavia so i'll be fun um we've toured with um certain um almost i mean more than half the where where you wound guys before we've toured with converge we've toured with um coliseum with chris maggio the drummer was in coliseum uh, we've toured with uh, Clouds, at, maybe twice or at least once. But it, it was uh, it was it was so much fun that maybe it feels like it was two times. So you know, Adam from Caven is also in that band. Um, so it'll it'll be fun. And then uh, on the southeast leg, we'll be uh, with Horrors, which we've done a tour with them in Red Fang. That was my first tour on guitar, so I'll be fun. Um, but yeah, this is uh you know we're working on some other stuff uh, that'll come after that. But uh, I'm just really excited to play. Um, these songs on the road and you know just really have them come to life um for people to like really absorb in the flesh and uh you know just really share the excitement and the uh the chemistry that's going on with 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 amongst the band members and on stage because uh the the runs that we have done with boris gojura and some headlining stuff um, it's been really receptive, even as early as like the first show with Red Fang. We had our friends, uh, John uh, from Red Fang, run downstairs at Slims in San Francisco, and he was like, "Whoa!" He goes, "That just happened. Like you guys were a different band nine days ago. Like you fucking pulled it off. I mean, we knew you would, but what? Like I'm excited." That day he just stopped and he's like, "I'm excited," and he just like you know, sure you look to the side stage and he'd be watching. You know, nine out of ten times he'd be there, you know, like, just like, damn, you fuckers did it, <laughs> you know. And uh, there's just like, a, we, you know, we grew up together down here, so there's a certain vibe and a, just a connection and a continuity. And we're, we're obviously eager to play our songs um, live, you know. Like I said earlier, we put in the work, the, the writing, the recording, the mixing, the mastering, the now you know, it's, I do enjoy talking and connecting with people over music and doing the interviews and then even more so like playing live and hanging out and talking to people live and, you know, just really just connecting with, uh, you know, uh, people over it is just something else, man. I think, you know, going back to the movie you mentioned, I think I can agree that as I've gotten older, I respect people wanting to just continue to play and sometimes unfortunately the whole band doesn't do it and sometimes it goes further into making records and sometimes it gets a little too compromised i will say that but i totally understand once you get a taste of this and you you've toured a good majority of your life and you've you've put in the work and received the pay in a sense of gratification self-fulfillment 
and just having other people enjoy it and getting a feeling that you get when you listen to other people's music or are uh, an, an audience member getting that feeling from another band. When you provide that feeling for someone else while achieving a certain feeling for yourself, there it's just there's nothing else like it in the world, you know, and that's what will keep me and the guys, you know, whether we keep doing it together or it leads us down separate paths in the future, I'm confident we'll be playing music till the end because there's just nothing else. I mean, that gives you this, this feeling of like, I don't know, like this fulfillment. And, uh, you know, when you're all in with music and you get to experience that as a listener and as someone creatively, you know, producing music for people to listen to, it's like, I mean, man, there's nothing else. It's it's just it's it uh it definitely uh makes it hard to want to do anything else. So I'm just happy that all the work and um all the nuances that went into making the new record are being received, and uh, people are, you know, enjoying those aspects of it as well as like bringing out things that they like in it and relating that to you. And you're like, holy shit, awesome! I didn't think of that, or like, oh, I was totally hoping people would pick up on that like it's just completely gratifying you know and with that though john i want to thank you man so much for calling into the metal sucks podcast and congratulate you one more time man for this uh for this new record dude thank you so much for having me
the Metal Sucks Podcast.
All right, guys, we are back. First song you heard is the title track off their new record, Admission, coming out once again this Friday, July 12th. Second song you heard off the same record. That one is called Time's Missing, guys. Make sure, if you haven't, you pick up that record and catch them on tour. Fantastic Fantasy Live, so make sure you don't miss them on this tour. And I also want to thank everybody out there for the five-star reviews. We keep getting on iTunes. That means the world to us, too. That's all we ask for. If you guys listen to the show, a quick click on that little iTunes thing. That's all it takes. And I want to thank everybody once again for the influx of great emails that we keep getting. I will start doing music episodes very soon. I promise. And also for checking out our other podcast, Rise to Offend, this week we are doing Henry Rollins. So make sure if you guys are interested in that biography and story, you check out that podcast. And with that, guys, we will talk to you next week. The Metal Sucks Podcast is signing off. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.